Hi and welcome to Leitrim Daily. My name is Brefney Early and today we're doing something a little bit different for Kiss My Arts, the art show here on the channel. Come all the way back to school to talk about a brand new publication, Fire on the Mountain, and it's written by the students, the third, fourth, fifth and sixth class students, both past and present, of St. Hugh's National School in Dowra. And I'm joined by the class throughout the next half hour or so, but also their teacher, well known to most Leitrim people, Porik Henny. Porik, welcome to the programme. Thank you, Brefni. Or should I say thanks for having me no. today. It's great to be back in school. Yes. Although I never thought I'd hear myself say those words. I have your copy of Fire on the Mountain. It's a history of Balnaglera Parish. I suppose a collection of stories from the region. Tell us a bit about the project. Well, I suppose it all began about a, a couple of years ago. We entered a competition called the Decade of Centenaries. And like during our research uh, for that competition, all these amazing stories started popping up about the parish. And uh, I suppose it diverted us uh, down this track where we began researching all these different stories and collating them. And the result is what you see in front of you there. This, of course, isn't your first publication here with the school. A couple of years ago, I have distinct memories of, of King kept up at night looking at the, the regrets of former GA stars in a, in a previous publication called The Scrapbook of Regret. So why did you come back to the, the trough for the second time? It seems I like know, so I much know, work. I know. I, what, did I be, what did we put ourselves in for? To be honest, it just became so fascinating, the story, that, you know, it began as this kind of a small project and then it mushroomed and then I gone so, we gone so far into it, there's no point in stopping there and we just continued and got the job finished, I suppose. Tell us a bit about the process that was involved in this. A lot of the information we got was from using a website called irishnewsarchives.com. It's free to schools and you can um, delve into the archives back to maybe the early 1800s looking at old newspapers. So if we found a story that was of interest to us, we'd kind of zone in on that period and try and get as much information as possible from the you know relevant sources, I suppose. Before we talk to some of the kids about some of the stories in the book, tell us a bit about the school itself here. Well, we're the only school in Ballinaglera Parish. Ballinaglera Parish straddles the counties of Cavan and Leitrim. There's 49 kids in the school, great bunch. We are a two-teacher school. In terms of the previous publication, it was to raise funds for an AstroTurf pitch, which I thankfully parked outside of there now. It looks great. It's it's really added to the, the school in terms of the resources that the kids have to be able to play at lunch times and break times and I suppose PE as well. How important was the previous publication in terms of providing that facility? Well, we wouldn't have had the facility only for the funds raised by that book. Um, it was just, would have been financially impossible. And it just, it's a fantastic facility for the kids. You know, before that, it was kind of a smaller area, tarmac, puddles, you know, kids fell, hurt themselves. This is much area, much bigger, much safer and more enjoyable for all the pupils, yeah. What are the funds from this to go towards? Well, I mean, the funds will, we have a few things in mind, mainly historically based, um, linking with the community, but more about that, if we suppose, uh, number one is that it was a heritage kind of uh, project and um, just to you know, to collect and to preserve the stories of the locality's past is number one. And yes, we have ideas in mind for fundraising if we do make a profit out of this. But uh, I suppose the number one thing was that we would preserve the stories of the locality. 
and I suppose the skills of researching and retelling the stories is a huge addition to, to most kids. Most kids this age don't get in their primary school experience. Well, I, you know, like in the story itself, beyond the researching, there was typing up the stories, there was artwork involved in the stories, there was maybe cropping, you know, newspaper headlines, there was summarising, there was an amount of skills that was involved in just even maybe getting one chapter out. So there was an awful lot of learning in uh, the book itself, yeah. Excellent. Well, in terms of the, the book, it's a big, big volume. It's, it's There's some serious weight in it. Yeah, I suppose we didn't know when to stop, but... <laughs> Uh, to be honest, so the stories, like, and you know, in some cases we took, just took newspaper clippings and they're fascinating. And in other cases, there was episodes that occurred in the parish, which you'll hear more about later, that um, involved maybe three or four pages of work uh, in the book. And so whatever it needed, we gave it just to make sure we got the story across properly. Yeah, perfect. Do you have any particular favourites in there yourself? What, do you remember the story that first you decided we're going to actually make a book out of this? Yeah, I suppose you're going to hear more about it later, but the the story that first caught my attention was there was a guy called Thomas Brady and he was uh, the infamous Grabber Brady around here and there's a plethora of stories around his activities and his dealings with the locals here. It's just fascinating. One in particular where um, he and his or his sons were sent to Drummer here because he was boycotted locally. He couldn't... Um, because he had grabbed the farm of an evicted tenant, uh, the locals wouldn't deal with him or serve him food, not just here, but in Drumkeern and in Drumshambo and Carrick and Shannon. So one night, he sent his own uh, two sons, in the dead of night, two or three in the morning, with uh, two RIC officers to drum a hair to get provisions for his family. And what happened next is just a fascinating story. So that was one of them. If you're ever going to make a film out of any of the stories in the book, I think that would be the one. It's just incredible what happened after that. Well, no better place to start. Who's going to tell us about what's happening with Sons of the Grabber? Well, I have two pupils at least here that are going to come up. So maybe if you join us. So, Sons of the Grabber, I'm joined by Dahi McGrail and Orla Ryan to tell me a little bit about this story. So, Orla, do you want to tell me first a little bit about yeah. who Mr. Kenny already has touched on it, but tell us a bit about the story in your own words. Well, it kind of happened in 1906, and the Grabber of Brady, he was kind of infamous for taking people's land when they died. And so... People didn't really like him, so no shop and his two, no shop would serve him and his two sons, Martin and Philip Brady. No shop would serve them from Dowra or Drum Kieran. So one day at three in three in the morning, they got woken up. This the father woke the two sons up. And he told them they they were gonna go to drum a hair. They're gonna get on a car, go to drum a hair, to get the food. And as they were going, about when they were thirty minutes into it, um, some guy had heard they were going. His name is Patrick Wren. He told Anthony Mulvey all about it, and they had to go to they to take the lead and follow them and see what they were doing. So when they went to get food in the shop, Anthony Mulvey and them, they just followed them, but they had to look all around the shops because they didn't find them straight away because they were going to the bath. Three o'clock in the morning is not a great time to find anybody in the shop. No. 
back in the town in Drumkeeran, more people had heard about this, young, old people, men and women, they had heard about this. And they went, they just went into the town because they knew where they were going to come back to the town. So Anthony Mulvey and Patrick Wren, they were still following them. So they went back after they got the food and they didn't know, um, the two sons, they didn't know anything. And so they went back and they found out that there was five or 600 people waiting there just to get them. And they took, they took their food out, they kicked the flour in the air, they kicked everything. So that's, that sounds like a kind of a scary, scary experience. Could you imagine now if your mum and dad weren't allowed to buy food in the local shop, what would you do for food? Would you walk to Drummer Hair to get food? I don't know if I do at three in the morning, but if it was in the middle of the day, I probably wouldn't because everyone would see me then. So I wouldn't know what to do. So these two boys came back to Drumcairn and they basically got attacked by five or six other people. That's got to be pretty scary. Yeah, that must have been really scary for them because they were just, they were young and they didn't, they had no idea that those people we're going to get them. So, Dahi, what happened at that point then? Because the boys were after getting attacked in Drumcairn and all their flour and their food and all their res- has been destroyed. So now they're back to square one, no food. What happened? Did they go to the police? Um, yeah, and they went to a courthouse in Sligo and they, they, tr- they, they tried to figure out but they couldn't so they couldn't figure it out and then so the jury wouldn't make a decision in other words were mm. they intimidated by by the locals um yeah and the jury the judge wanted them to um be going like guilty but the jury didn't get a decision and so when they didn't get the decision in Sligo, then they brought them to what's now the dock in Carrick and Sharon yeah. which used to be the old courthouse yeah and they did the same problem there yeah so they basically couldn't find anyone that would convict them. Mm. And we're talking about the people who attacked them, really, are we? Um, well, yeah, sort of. And then after that, they went to the dock, the dock again and brought the most, like, strongest lawyer, Richard Cherry. And he was the Attorney General for the country at the time. Mm. And they brought him... And they still couldn't get a deci- decision. Uh, so then they wanted to bring, they brought, um, they, brought, they inquired about Limerick and they got it, but then the um, judge said it's off. Just let them free. It's too much hassle. It'll probably just go down us. So they got away with it? Yeah. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's um, that, it just depends. And is there anybody in the room who, whose grandparents or great grandparents might have been involved in that? I don't know. Can we put them Maybe. in court now? F- <laughs> no. Finally get an answer to the question. <laughs> no, I don't know. So what What about this story did you like the most? Um, About, like, well, we only knew about the court ca- cases a few days ago. But then I liked this, but I liked the one about drum hair, too. It's like, when I heard, first heard it, I really liked it. Well, listen, thank you very much. We might move on to some of your friends in the classroom and see what other stories they have for us in this book. Thank you very much for joining me. Thanks. Thanks.
Now, the next story we're going to talk about is titled The Wicked Lake, and it's from July of 1879. And it's about two young adventurers, Kenneth Reed, who was 18, and William Anderson, 20, who had decided they were going to paddle in canoes from Clonus to Enniskillen, and then from Dowra, making their way along the Shannon to Athlone. Unfortunately, things didn't work out for the two boys, and neither of them survived Loch Allen. We're going to hear about this from Daniel Gilrain, Jamie McTiernan and Emily Woods. Welcome to the show, folks. Thank you. Let's start, Jamie, with yourself. Tell us a bit about where this story came from. These two boys called William and Kenneth and this decided that they wanted to go out on the lake from Clonus to Inniskillen, then on the Shannon, but then they didn't really make it to the through it when they came along the the shore there's this big bit that came out on the lake and a uh, wind hit them it didn't go so well for them maybe we might talk to you daniel for a second about what exactly happened so they set off they got from clonus to enniskillen and then they found their way to dowra and then it didn't go so well for them for the, from there no, it didn't. They were camping on hammocks on a fella's land and they woke up in the morning and the farmer came up to them and said, don't go out on the lake because the weather is bad. And they waited until one o'clock until hoping that the weather would calm down and it didn't really. And they went out on the lake anyway and they met a fella who was on the shore and they told him what's the quickest way to go to Jim Shambo and he said keep near to the shore so they kept near to the shore and they went down and at about halfway out there was a promontory and when they went in out when they went like out on the promontory they capsized and they died and they drowned both boys disappeared and never to be seen again one body was found so maybe emily tell us a bit about what happened after the disappeared on the lake they found one body and it was mr anderson's and they they found it 21 days later this little boy was um stacking wood and he saw it floating on the water and then he went to, to call someone but on his way back someone already reeled him in with a fishing rod so then they had a funeral and then they buried him and then like a year later they put a plaque up for Mr Reed's and um, at this church but the church is gone now. So Mr Reed of course was the son of an MP so it generated a lot of news at the time it must have been a really big story. Yeah. Now the three of you look like you're fairly active. Have any of you ever got, gone kayaking? Yeah. Yeah. Have you gone kayaking on Loch Allen? Yeah. Yeah. How was that for you? Well, it was good for us because we went out on a good day and unlike us, they went out on a bad day. So you, when your instructors told you to behave yourself and to do things, you follow their instructions? Yeah. And you're here to tell the story about it afterwards? Yeah. Isn't that an awful lot more sensible than what the boys did? Yeah. yeah. Would you do what the boys did, Emily? No. Why not? Because it's dangerous on the thing. Because you could really injure yourself or die and drown if you're not a really good swimmer. And do you do absolutely everything you're told to do? Yeah. By your parents? Sometimes. Uh, we're not all great, are we? And that's fun. So in terms of the adventure, like because Dower is pretty iconic in terms of being the highest point on the Shannon you can go. And I know even this summer 
three girls swam from Dara to Limerick. Did you follow that story, Emily? Um, no, not that one. <laughs> Did any of you follow that story? When I heard of it, like how they went from Dawa down to the end of the Shannon. Would you think you might do that yourself someday, either in a kayak? Would you want to do what the boys tried to do? No. Well, maybe on a good day. <laughs> I like it. I like it on a good day. Everything is possible. On a bad day, stay off the lake. Yeah. Right? What do you think the lessons that might have been learned from this would be? Well, listen to people that know more than you do because they weren't familiar to the area and they didn't know if the lake was dangerous or not. And they went out on it and they drowned it. So... I know growing up in the area, we were always warned about how dangerous Loch Allen was. So I presume you hear the same thing from your parents, do you? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Would it stop you going kayaking again? No, no. it wouldn't stop me. I'd still no. do it. But like, wear a helmet and stuff, life jacket and stuff. Be like safe that. and do what you're told. Behave yourself in dangerous circumstances. Well, listen, Daniel, Jamie and Emily, thank you very much for telling me your story. Thank you. Thank you. Now, the next story we're going to talk about is called Nurse Kerrigan, and it's in the middle of the book, and it's a really nice story about a lady born in Dowra who made a huge impact in the First World War. Amy, why don't you tell me a little bit about who she might have been? Her name was Helen Leonard Kerrigan. She was born in Dowra in the 1860s, and her parents were John and Catherine Leonard Kerrigan. And then Cora, she emigrated. Where did she go to? Um, she went to New York for a f- like for a good few years, and then she returned back to Ireland for a visit. And mm. then she served in Ser- C- Serbia, Serbia as a nurse for Amer- America Red Cross and held prin- and she was held prisoner for a few like ten days. So she, when she came home to Ireland on that visit, yeah. she the First World War broke out and she ended yeah. up going to Serbia. Emma, tell us a bit about what she did in the First World War. So she was given medals by the Serbian and the French government for bravery, and uh, she also died aged eighty two in nineteen fifty. So she actually went back to America after the war and ended up as a public health nurse. So she's a pretty phenomenal lady, isn't she? Yeah. Could you see yourselves doing that and when you're becoming a nurse? Would that interest you at all? No. Not, why would you not be interested in being a nurse? You could die. Yeah, but not as a normal nurse. In the war. That's a different kind of nurse. I'm talking about just being a nurse. Would you be a nurse? Could you see yourself caring for people? Yeah. Yeah. Would you like to do that? Yeah. What would you like to be when you, when you finish school? Nurse. Really? Mm. So if war broke out, would you go to the to the war and be a nurse on no. the front lines? No. <laughs> what if you had to though? What if all your your brothers and your cousins and your neighbours were all fighting for freedom? Still no. No. <laughs> You'd be at home making the bread, looking after the kids. And Cora, yourself, what do you want to be when you get older? I'm a farmer. So why would you want to be a farmer? Well, because I like going around places and I see those animals and I like them. Interesting. I like it. And there's other professions like, would you be a zookeeper or a vet? Anything with animals, basically. Okay. But farmers have, they have to kind of kill animals as well. Yeah. You wouldn't like that part of it, would you? So are you sure you want to be a farmer? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. I'm not going to go further into that one. Emma, what do you want to be when you go older? A 
fashion designer. A fashion designer. Now that's different. So what do you design your own clothes at the moment? Not really. Do you, do you sketch or? I kind of sketch, but not really. Okay. Is that just a, I'm not going to say it in front of my friends kind of thing? Yes. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Follow your dreams, always. In terms of Shane, tell me a bit about yourself. Uh, what can I tell? I don't know. What do you want to be when you get older? An engineer. Cool. What do you want to build? Well, structural engineer. Not like the pe people who like design the buildings, like an architect, but like people who tell that you need this and that. So what kind of buildings do you want to be involved in building? I don't know, houses and stuff like that. Cool. Kind of fairly varied. Would you do that on the... Would you be an engineer in, in a war situation like Nurse Kerrigan? Probably not, no. Don't like the idea of that at all? No. Well, I would just have to design the stuff. I wouldn't have to like go over there and build stuff. So you'd be back at home yeah. designing the tanks and the yeah, machinery and stuff. Okay, I think we have a whole little war effort going on here. <laughs> What was your favourite part of putting the book together? And how much involvement did you have? Because I know the, the, the boys and girls who were a year or two gone from the school that are now in first and second year were very involved in this over the last couple of years. So what class are you in? Um, third. Third class. I mean fourth. You don't know what class you're in? <laughs> or do you just enjoy third class so much you want to go back? <laughs> in terms of wh what kind of stuff did you do with the, the book over the last two years? typed this book and I really enjoyed typing it because I got to type a good bit of it and yeah. And did you enjoy the stories? Yeah. What's your own personal story or favourite? I know you talked about Nurse Kerrigan today but was there a story, you don't have to tell me how it goes but just was there a story that you liked? Yeah I liked the story that I typed, it was like about the fairs and other stuff. Is that because there was animals in it? Yeah. And you're as predictable. I like it. Anyone else have a favourite story that they liked? Uh, no fashion design in Balneglare in the 1800s, no. no? No. Well, listen, thanks very much for telling me all about Nurse Kerrigan. And for getting Serbia right. <laughs> I like it. Well done. Thank you. Now, one story I liked when I was looking through this book was The Dash from Court. We have the story of Charles McMorrow, who did a runner one day when he was up in court. Mona Lowe, Shane Lowe and Dara McGorty are going to tell us all about this story. Mona, let's start with you. Tell me a bit about who Charles McMorrow was and why was he in court in the first place? Well, so he was um, he was on this train. It was when like the freest free estate was like made and there was a border and he was smuggling goods and he was on the train and he threw out two sacks of um, goods out the window and then two people they from the train they came in and then after that he just he was just jumped out right there and then they they made a court case because like it was it looked a bit dodgy and stuff so yeah so he was smuggling and thought he was going to get caught so he threw them away but still got caught anyway and ended up in court shane what happened when he they brought him to court uh so he went to court that like when they made the court case and he was fined a hundred pounds for smuggling or, or escaping whatever goods yeah yep and uh while he was because like he was he had like three cases that he was like accused of. So while he's waiting for the second one, 
he ran out the door and he jumped, uh, ran through the fields and jumped the fence into this shaman and then swam to the other side. So he swam away from the police? Yeah. It's a pretty good way of getting away. I don't think the police want to get in and get wet in the river. Or maybe the police couldn't swim at that point. Well, they were... He, when he reached the other side, the police guards were like waist deep in the water, so like he knew he was going to escape. So yeah. Where did he end up? What happened to him after that? Well, uh, after that, he got he ran he ran to Belfast or got went to Belfast, and he got a ferry or a boat ferry that was going to the England, and he took that he jumped on the ferry and went to Scotland. After that. Now this kind of comes full circle because I believe um, a former writer at the Leiter Observer, David Walsh, met him in London some years later and he ended up back in Ballinaglare at the invitation of the local people. So what happened then, Dara? Tell me a bit about what happened when he came back to Dara. Well, he came back 40 years later in 1973, I think it was, and he... Well, he only knew a few, he only knew like two or three people. He didn't really know much people after 40 years. And he picked out my great granddad and uh, another guy. And he met two, uh, two other ladies and yeah, like it's, you won't remember a lot of people after coming back 40 years time. Yeah, so he came back to Dower having not been here in 40 years and he just, people change over time. So he didn't recognise anybody, but he did, he did recognise your, your ancestor who would have been Phil McGorty. Yeah. And what was so recognisable about your great granddad? Well, I don't know. i never seen him before, but like, um, he probably would have knew him. He didn't really change, I don't think. And In terms of... Run, doing a runner when you get caught. Have you ever gotten in trouble before? Have you ever done something you weren't supposed to and got get in trouble with your teachers or your yeah, parents? definitely. And would you ever think, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to face the music. I'm going to run away and I'm going to jump in the Shannon and start swimming for Athlone or Limerick. No. We well, wouldn't try that? No. Would it be a good idea? And then no. not come home for 40 years? What would you do in the meantime? Risky. It's risky. It's risky, is it? Yeah. Why is it risky? Because you never know what you could find on the Shannon. Really? What do you think is the worst thing you could find on the Shannon? Rocks. Um, deep, um, deep ground and... You could drown. Wet, wet, wet tides. Tides on the river? Well, no, like... If you, you could get swept away in another lane and that... You never know where that another place you could never you never know where you could go if you were on the Shannon. Absolutely, Mona. Would you ever run away like that? No. You wouldn't try and get away from the police if they caught you for not doing your homework or something. No. Really? You have that mischievous look in your eye. I think you'd be the first one in the in the river. Um, what would you what would you think you should do in that situation if someone comes back forty years after they've done a crime like that? Do you let it go or do you? Should they be put back in jail? Well, um, like, I don't think anybody really remembered it. I, I don't think anybody really remembered it. So I think he got away with it. It's like 40 years later. I don't think there's really any point. And it's, and it's not a thing anymore. So 
Yeah. Probably not. The, unfortunately, the story doesn't end particularly well because he came home and kind of was forgiven and was able yeah. to come home and then he died a year later. I know. Yeah. That's kind of sad, isn't it? What would you do if you had to move away from, from Dower and Balneglera? Oh, I just... I'd hide and stay. I like it. I like it. Um, and yourselves? Uh, if I had, I'd probably go to somewhere else where my like my granny or granddad lives. Yeah, or cousins. So they'd harbour you and they would <laughs> yeah. tell the police that you're with them. Maybe. I think the family might be the worst place to go because they might check up with family. So yeah. if you're thinking of running away from the police anytime soon, I probably wouldn't stay with family. You want to find a nice safe house somewhere, working off a lot better. <laughs> Anyway, listen, thank you very much for telling me all about Sonny and uh, what he got up to on the, uh, the courthouse in Enniskillen and, and across the yeah. North Leitrim. What, what part of the book did you enjoy the most putting it together? Uh, I did a picture in there. I don't know what page it is on. But oh, what's the picture of? It's of a, uh, I don't know what you call them, a mill, is it? Yeah, a mill, like, you know, the ones with the water. Oh, that's lovely. So it just do you want to describe the the picture first? Uh, so it's just a green field with a river, two trees, and then a mill with yeah. And there's no robber smuggler <laughs> no, swimming across not, the river. No. See, you, you missed a trick there. You could have put him <laughs> in. Anyway, Shane Lowe, Mona Lowe, and Dara McGorty, thank you very much for joining me. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. And so the final story we're going to focus on for today's show is the story about the Morley estate and the landlord, Albert Edward Parker. I'm joined by Shannon McTiernan, Claire Feeney, Anna McGrail and Cy Delrain. And we're going to start with you, Anna. You're going to tell me a little bit about who this man was. Okay, so he was Albert Edmund Parker and he owned the Morley estate, which um, was in Dara. And it went out to Dubali and it stretched in to Kalina Parish. And he owned all that and he rented it out to locals. Yeah. And so, Shannon, tell us a bit about how that relationship went. Yeah, so he was a really good landlord. Uh, when the weather was bad, he took like 25% of the rent. And his agent went and told the people in Dowra and he was cheered and shouted and... They were really happy. Everyone likes to get some money off stuff, right? Yeah. So when your rent, which is probably your biggest bill for the year, comes down by 25%, everyone's delighted. Yeah. But it didn't last that long, did it, Claire? No. So when all the tenants decided that they wanted to buy their land, they asked um, R. Johnstone if Lord Morley could sell their his land to them. But he and Johnston was the agent, so yeah. he, the so landlord he, didn't come here. He, he was he just the agent. He came like once for a visit, but um, or it's Johnston would like um, ask for the rent and stuff. So um, then he said that he couldn't sell it because he owned it with another person that was underage, and he couldn't sell it. And everybody they said that was fine because it it was fine. But then. Um, Lord, he did the dirty on them, he, he did dirty and he went and he sold it to his agent or his Johnstone and then everybody hated him because they wanted their land but it was now or his Johnstone's and um, he found himself in a bit of a pickle mm-hmm. and he had to take 
refuge because there was a mob that seemed to happen a lot around these parts. A mob descended to try and, and get him. What happened? Uh, maybe, Sai, if you might tell us a bit about that. Well, one day, O.H. Johnstone was coming down and the people were all bashing drums and shouting um, to get Johnstone out. And they followed him to the courthouse and and they, the ORIC men came and protected him and there was a court case then and no one got arrested. Of course nobody got arrested because <laughs> justice never seems to happen in these parts of the country. Does that happen nowadays? If someone steals something or breaks the loan out, do they get away as easily as they did back in that day? No. Why Why is that? Are things a little bit more strict, strict now yeah. than yeah. they used to be? Or maybe it's because we're not reliant on la- landlords and of the type that were there at the time. Yeah. 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 So in terms of the book, you're, you appear to be the older girls in the class. So tell us a little bit about your involvement in putting all this together. Yeah, well, we started doing the book when we were in, when we were in fourth class, and um, we were very confused what we were doing at first. Yeah. We didn't really know what was happening, and um, we didn't know that it was going to be a book until like a couple of months ago. So we just thought that we just did a load of writing and it, nothing ever happened, but yeah. we're really glad that it was made into a book. And in terms of the research, did you enjoy kind of combing through old papers and on the internet to find stories from the region? Yeah, it was cool to see, like, about the past and stuff. Yeah, that stuff, stuff like crazy things happened in this town, like, years and years ago, and nothing ever really happens like that now. I suppose because in your age, old stuff is like the song that came out last week is already old, right? <laughs> so what's it like when you're re- reading about things from like 1890 and 1895? It's it's like um really really old. Yeah, and it's like am- amazing to like think that you wouldn't actually think that it's like came out because like it's really like it's not that like bad this town anymore. It's like yeah, it's all like better it's, than it was. Yeah, it seemed then. bad. So does it make you think about where you? where you live and, and the stories make you think about what might have happened before you were born. Yeah. 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 And do you like history? Yeah. Yeah, yeah history. And what's your favourite thing that you've learnt in putting this whole book together? Mm, well, I like the way we got to, like, Sir was telling us about all the, like, history. It was, like, really interesting. Yeah. And I thought all of it was really good. Yeah. 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 It was just really nice. <laughs> Excellent. Well, listen, thank you very much for telling us the story all about Lord Morley and how his double-crossing agent got everyone's backs up. And I think if we can all avoid a lynch mob before we leave here, we'll yeah. be doing okay. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Shannon, Claire, Anna and Saif. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. And so I'm back with... Mr. Kenny, or Pori Kenny here, the principal of St. Hugh's School in Dowra, and I think it's a fabulous little publication you've put together, Pori. Congratulations on uh, to you and the students, the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth class, and the last two years that have come through the school as well were involved in the, the collation of all this. It's a beautiful little piece. Uh, tell us where people can get their hands on it. Well, at the moment, you can actually buy it online. Um, so you can get it anywhere worldwide, delivered to you if you want. Um, if you go on to Fire on the Mountain, which is on our website, com, and then there's a page there that you can buy it, and that's been happening already. And in local shops, 
in Dowra, uh, Drumshambo and um, I think Drumkeer and Black Lion it can be bought as well. And I suppose it's it's probably something that if you're living or from the region it's something that you should just have just as almost a coffee table book just for little stories of history from the from the the parish. Absolutely I mean it's a once-off book it's not going to be reprinted because um, you know publication costs are too high so I mean if it's, as far as we're concerned, it's a perfect gift for anybody who has any relations, say, that ever came from Balnaglera, Dowra, Dubali, Newbridge. There's amazing stories. I mean, it's not like one big long story. There's about, you know, 150 separate chapters, about short chapters with little snippets of what life was like in the area from the late 1800s probably to maybe the 1930s, 1940s. And just before I go, Brefni, um, it wasn't just me. I have Jacinta Green, who's a teacher next door, and her pupils typed out um, articles as well, uh, namely about Anthony Mulvey, one of the parish's most famous sons. And Miss Tubman also helped out, plus the parents and the board of management. It is more of a community effort than uh, coming down to one... um, classroom before i let you go and before we wrap up today i have to ask you about the look the recent film awards because you made a film here in the school as well you seem to be have your finger in all the pies in the arts we did it's there's a primary school competition called fish and you have to make a five minute film and we entered it and uh, we won an award for best plot twist I mean, it's a fantastic experience, like even making the film. It's more about making it than what happens at the end of it because it's such good fun making it. We ended up actually in World War One replica trenches in Bally James Duff. I can never remember the name of the place and shot some of the film there. Some of us shot up in Mulvey's pub uh, up the road, others in uh, the old school where we did a dance scene and um, it's great fun. And is the film available on YouTube or it's online? It is available. Probably the best way to do is go into our website and there's a little um, page there called Short Movies and you'll get to it through there, yeah. Fantastic. Well, it's a, it's great to be in a school where the children are getting an opportunity to really try their hand at all the creative arts and here on Kiss My Arts, which usually gets a snigger from most of the kids. Um, it's yeah, there's a few down the back of the room, um, but it's it's great to have the next generation of potential filmmakers, authors, um, talking to us about the whole process and, and congratulations on everything that's achieved here in the in the school. Now, before we go, where's the best school in the county? So that was the staff and the kids from St. Hugh's in Dowra. Thank you very much for having me today. It's been a pleasure to come along and chat to everybody. We spoke to Dahi, Orla, Daniel, Jamie, Emily, Shane, Amy, Cora, Emma, Dara, Mona, Shannon, Claire, Anna, Sive, and everybody else in the school. Apologies to anyone I've left out, but it was an absolute pleasure to spend the day here with you. I'll be back tomorrow with the sports roundup from around the county. Talk to you then.